Welcome, everybody, to What's in Store, the show where we discuss hot topics at the cross-section of retail and real estate. I'm Carly Iacono, Senior Vice President at CBRE, and I'm joined by Chris Ressa, the COO of DLC. Chris, great to see you. Another month gone by. How are you? How's life? Life is good. So today's episode, for everyone who's tuned in, thank you. It's great to have you again. We are doing something really fun for the first time, and we're taking a look back on our retail predictions we made almost exactly a year ago for 2022 to see which ones came true and which ones were maybe more of a miss. So we're going to go through our top five retail predictions for 2022 and give you an update on how they all turned out. All right, let's start with what was number five. And our thought was, welcome home. Retailers are moving closer to population bases. Now, this was driven by the work from home movement and a change in how retailers are looking at their data when they pick new sites. So daytime population has kind of fallen out of favor, and now it's more household was the thought. So I'll give you one quick stat on work from from home to update everyone. And then, Chris, I'll let you jump in on this. So I just read that Castle Systems, which is a security company, published a report that said about 47.5% of workers were back in offices on a consistent basis. Now that's still low, obviously, less than half of where we were pre-pandemic, but it's a jump from 31% this time last year. So we are seeing more traction in the office, but we're still below half. So what's your thought on our retailers looking at daytime population again, Chris, or are they going back to where consumers I think they're they're doing both. I, over the last year, the retailers have been expanding. And when I say expanded, they've been signing leases to expand. A lot of the the buzz in 2022 with in 2021 of all the lease signings that occurred, you're not going to see some of those stores until late 22, 23, and some in 24. But I think suburban America has been on fire from a retail expansion perspective. If you take the adage in the major MSAs, the offices were closer to the urban core and people lived in the suburbs, you just look at occupancy at open air centers and it's just continued to rise. And that doesn't even include a lot of leases that haven't been, that have been signed and haven't opened yet. yeah, retail, every business, I think it's not even just retail. Every business wants to be closer to the consumer. We signed DoorDash leases with their door, um, their dash mark to go in some of our properties. That's getting in suburban America closer to the consumer so they can get products to the consumer. Um, we have seen, we have done some, uh, traditional mall retailers that have gone into more power and even some grocery anchored centers getting closer to where people live. So yeah, retailers, they're still doing deals in, in the, you know, Soho has been on fire. Um, there's some other urban cores and high streets that have been on fire, but retailers definitely want to get closer to the consumer. So this is a check in the correct column. (laughs) Yes. 
So number number five yes. on the list. We were right. Um, last question on this. Do you think it's it's really more of a distribution fueled shift or just that consumers like to shop in different ways? So they want these retailers closer to them. So is it I think people I, I think businesses always want to situate where people are and 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 if people weren't spending time or as much time at home well now they are so there's potentially new market share in a market that they weren't grabbing before that they're potentially grabbing now okay i like it do you expect this trend to continue through 23 I expect this to continue. I expect it to even go further out. You know, we're seeing a lot of traction in what some people call secondary tertiary markets. And I think technology could really make this interesting, whether that's self-driving cars, people live in the even further out than the exurbs and rural, and they only have, you know, I only have to go to the office two days a week. Well, I can live two hours from the office. No big deal. I can make that commute two days a week. So, got it. All right. So we will continue talking about this. Um, we're not done yet on retail getting closer to the consumer. Let's move on to number four. Our prediction was that retailers will focus on new real estate formats. So we have a lot of examples of this, but why don't you kick it off and then I'll chime in with some that, that I've seen as well. Yeah, I, I think the the one of the big ones you know in the for my world has been the mall to open air we've done some deals with buckle who's a traditional enclosed mall retailer we've done some deals with bath and body works who has done both but really expanding the uh, mall presence we've seen we've had coals in our centers where they've put in sephora uh, we have, you know, there's Target who's doing Ulta. Formats are, as consumer behavior has changed, retailers have tried to adapt and create the format that they think might serve that community best and that consumer best. And we've seen this a lot on the single tenant front with an increased demand for drive throughs which didn't even think was possible because there's already such demand for drive-through properties, but more lanes, um, less seating. Nara, for example, has a pickup only model that they are they debuted this year. Taco Bell has a very heavy drive-through focus prototype that they unveiled. Uh, Wingstop has a new cashless seatless model that came out this year. So there's a lot of focus on speed, efficiency, pickup whether that be pickup windows on the exterior or drive-through, um, the prototype is certainly shifting to consumer convenience. We've also seen stores like Macy's, just in line with what you were saying, do smaller footprint yeah, standalone stores. So even going a step further from saying, okay, we're going out of conventional malls into open air, but now we're gonna be our own freestanding store. So I think that's totally. okay. We, oh, opened, really we, op we opened one of the first ones of those Macy's in Allen, Texas, Macy's backstage. So that was uh, that was really cool to see, and it looks awesome, and it's really cool. So, so I'm going to put number two in the win column as well. 
Sure. And we're not always right, everyone listening. <laughs> but we just happened to hit these right on the nose. All right, let's go on to number three, which was, okay, this one's iffy. Stores becoming more charming, i.e. a better shopping experience for the consumer. So we both felt a year ago that there would be a lot of focus on merchandise presentations, in-store experience, that retail would try to be more charming. I think that's the right way to say it. So from my perspective, construction costs have been off the, the charts, really difficult. There's a lot less build to suits happening. Uh, there's backlog on materials. So I feel like if one was to be a miss, it would be this one, that retailers are just trying to get stores open. You know, we have the lowest vacancy we've seen in decades. It just hit 5%. So that, I mean, it's space is at a premium. And I think retailers are just trying to, to expand where they can and, and get things open. What do you think? So I'm going to, this maybe was down the, the middle. Maybe it's in, we'll okay. in the L column. But one of the things I meant when we were talking about this last year was that I think the tagline was charming, or and we said more character. And that one of the things for me was driven by construction costs and this concept that stores want their brand standard prototype. And they want this because of efficiency. If you have a thousand stores and they all look the same and the shoes are in the same spot in every store, that's super efficient. It's challenging to do when construction costs are low when construction costs are high like you know to just move the bathrooms of this location over there now starts throwing both landlord and tenant performers out of whack and therefore um i thought stores are going to have a little more character because you're going to start to see you know some veering from prototype what i've seen is so far is stores and landlords really work together to get as close to prototype as possible. And so we haven't seen in the traditional retail space, unlike the high-end world where they like try to get, you know, make it look like the community and do all the money's no object when they're building out a store, very different than traditional retail. So we're seeing landlords and tenants like work together to do things. Um, a lot of those charming factors, unfortunately, are for both sides are not the most expensive stuff. Like the guts of the store is what's what's really expensive. The water, the electric, the HVAC, and that's where people are really working together. Whether it's a landlord and tenant saying, "Okay, the HVAC is past its useful life. Can we keep it going for two years? And when the HVAC finally arrives, because it's on back order." We'll swap it out, but we'll open the store with the old HVAC. That was so taboo five years ago. That would have never happened. Um, electric gear. Everyone's heard like you're 48 weeks, 52 weeks out on electric gear. And that uh, is a challenge. Can you use the existing electric? A lot of times it's not that simple. And those that's expensive. And so how do we work around that? So I think the miss was a lot of the costs are in the guts of the store. And that's where people are trying to really save the it's not necessarily like all right let's not tile because the tile you know we'll just keep the existing floor that's there let's not put new tile because that's not really breaking the budget it's really the guts of the store that are breaking the budget i do think 
this trend of like using as much existing is going to continue to happen. And, but I think where I think I was off is this is going to be an evolution and take some time to really work itself out. So, and by that time, maybe construction costs have normalized. So there's two different things here though. There's the, the fixed cost of opening the store, right? The utilities, the construction costs, but what you're alluding to is almost aesthetics, right? Charming, like a, yeah. a feel to the store. So do you think that that has happened in the last year or just I, I, the I think, money spent on basics? I, I think the answer is stores, I thought they might have to do that and when I because they're not going to change what it looks like. So it's going to have character per se, but they are changing what it looks like to the prototype because that's not really where the costs are. I thought that was going to happen to save money, but that's not the real cost challenges and supply chain challenges. The real issue is in the guts and the infrastructure of the building. And I know we had talked about uh, assortment of goods being different regionally to appeal to different consumers. I haven't seen as much focus on that. And I think it's maybe again, just retailers trying to get back to basics because it's been challenging to get stores open for all the reasons you just mentioned. So have you seen the product mixes shifting and, and some could call that charming as well if it's a more regionally focused store? If they were pre-pandemic, then yes. Like if you go to a sporting goods store in the Northeast, you'll probably see more Yankee Jets and Giants. If you go to a sporting Obvious. goods store in the, in the South, you'll see, you know, more Alabama Crimson Tide and, you know, Atlanta Falcon stuff. So if they were beforehand, like really resonating with the community than they are today, some are trying. I think it's the supply chain and inventory control has made that a challenge. I think that's a, a built in as people are upgrading supply chain and they're getting better and better at inventory control. That is something you'll see more in the future. All right, so this one we're putting as a maybe <laughs> more time. Can't actually admit we were off. No, just kidding. Just uh, it's coming, just maybe not again. Yes. All right, let's go to our number two prediction was that we would see a tremendous number of new store and business concepts. And this was really driven, or we thought it would be driven by the great resignation, whatever we want to call it today basically a lot of people leaving traditional jobs and opening their own businesses and also retailers trying new concepts so existing retailers trying new like brand new concepts not just retooling existing prototypes but more brand new businesses starting so according to the SBA I think this is a great stat there were 5.4 million new small businesses created in 2021 wow. which was almost a 23% increase from pre-pandemic 2020. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's a huge jump in one year. And the data coming in for 2022 shows that we're off of 21 pace of increase, but still well above pre-pandemic numbers for new small business creation. So have you seen this in your centers? Are you seeing new new small businesses buying for space or how is that playing oh, out? In there, there's, a ton of, there's a ton of new concepts. We're constantly like evaluating like, what is this? This is a new concept, whether it's, we did a virtual reality deal in Houston. It's the company called Zero Latency. Uh, I just went to a store and I posted about this on LinkedIn yesterday, went to a store on Saturday in um, 
Randolph, New Jersey called Pinspiration. I guess yeah, like I saw that. Pinterest, it's so interesting. Like yeah. Pinterest, Pinspiration. So we, we've always had this paint and sips, but like right. if you were going to take your kids to like an art class and like work on projects and do cool things, I don't even know. There, there's not like a chain for this. So this is like a, this turns out this is a franchise. They only have a, a few open right now. Uh, I spent some time talking to the owner because I was fascinated. They hosted a birthday party. They're going to run art classes from like for kids after school. It was a crazy concept. They had this thing called a splatter room. So you put your child put, you know, they had all the kids in this room. They put them in like hazmat suits and they had the, the, I don't know what it is, the canvas up on, on the wall. And then they go and they splatter and they're throwing paint and paints flying everywhere. It was really cool. And I'm yeah. definitely not a craft person, but some of the projects I was looking at that people had completed in the store and the things they sold. So anyway, I thought it was a cool concept. We're seeing concepts all the time. People are being innovative. People are on the couch for 2020, brainstorming ideas, thinking about what to do. And that has come to fruition. And entrepreneurs are out opening stores. As a landlord, how do you feel about these new concepts? Are you excited because they bring new traffic to your centers or are you a little bit cautious because they're untested? I think as a landlord, you're always, you're you're probably more concerned on the larger deals. On the small shop deals, you love this. They're not a large percentage of the income of the overall center, so if it doesn't work, it, it's not as big of an impact, but we are seeing like you know, Urban Edge did a couple of deals with Ren Kitchens, this whole kitchen remodel store that is a big box store that was really cool. There's this new grocery restaurant depot type concept out of um, out of the West Coast. So I, I think. And, and that's called Chef Store, if you've seen it. So it's like it, there's all these new concepts that are coming. And some of them, what I would say, probably were incubated pre-pandemic, but are now starting to really take flight. Um, so there's a bunch. And I did think some of the mature retailers would create new concepts and expand them. And I haven't seen as much of that. You saw Macy's with Macy's backstage and their their home concept, and TJX is rolling out HomeSense more, which was you know they had pre-pandemic. Dick's Sporting Goods has House of Sports. They've got public lands. They've got a cool new concepts. But I did think we would see more. But I think they were trying to gain as much market share in their core what they were good at, and I think they did that and so that's what you know they focused on I think yeah how much uh, impact do you think TI or tenant improvement allowances or contributions from the tenant wherever it ends up falling is a factor in these new concepts I mean would you as a landlord say ah we're not gonna put that much money into that but if the tenant wants to build it out okay the tenant's saying ah we're new we don't have that money so do you think deals get stalled because of the, the ti build out so two different questions one i think every landlord's like evaluating and has their own credit profile 
that they're willing to spend on any type of deal. Some landlords, it's like a certain payback. Some landlords, it's a return on cost. So everyone's got, and then they look at, you know, the financial statement of the entity that's signing the lease and make a decision whether that's worth the risk. I don't think that's changed. That's still the case. The cost to install a tenant is the number one negotiated item right now by a mile in new store openings. Landlord work, tenant allowance, whatever you want to call it, commissions, the cost to install the tenant is the number one thing that gets negotiated in a lease. And then the scope of that, who's doing what, who's paying for what, what can we both eliminate out of this? That's the most negotiated thing in the lease. Yeah, agreed. I'm seeing as well. All right, let's move on to our number one prediction, which based on what we do for a living and how plugged on in we are to this industry is probably no surprise to anyone. But we predicted quite, quite boldly that more online stores were going to close than physical bricks and mortar stores. And I am pleased to report we are absolutely correct in this. So I'm going to give you a well, quick stat. No, 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 we're right. No, there's no, well, wait. Um, let me give you a quick stat on store openings and then you can dive into how you look at, at store yeah. openings. Okay, so retailers in the U.S. have announced 4,432 store openings this year compared with just 1,954 store closings, according to Corsay Research. So we are over double store openings versus store closings so far. So, I mean, in a challenging economic time, challenging from a pandemic perspective, I mean, everything that's been thrown at physical retail in the last few years, I think that says it all, that we are still in an environment, despite construction costs, and TI, all the challenges we just said, where more stores are opening than closing, which of course is leading to our historic low vacancy levels. For sure. Jump in. So on the online side, more online stores close. So a couple of things, I think, one is this number is a little elusive um, online. online. There's a couple of companies who put out some research on what on on this, but I do think it is elusive. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly. But what I would say is, if you just took a barometer and the, the Shopify, who's a, a Shopify businesses are a large percentage of the businesses online there, you know, there's more than 20% are on Shopify for e-commerce nationally. Their success rate is quite low. Um, it's, you know, it's sub 10% uh, success rate. And they're talking, you know, onboarding, you know, seven figures worth of new businesses. So if you just did that and said, okay, you know, you're talking six figures of online stores closing. Now, is are these different? Are these like two college kids in a room opened up a shop, stop Shopify t-shirt store, they ran it for a month, they couldn't make it work and they shut it down? Sure, right. maybe. Lower barrier to, barrier to entry for sure. More failure. So, but I don't, I think that's the point, which is that it is it is not that simple to win online 
and the omni-channel matters and that you're seeing this huge resurgence in physical stores, both from mature retailers, new retailers, and digitally native retailers. And to me, that's the point, which is uh, we need both. And for all the retail apocalypse that went on for years, I, I think you're, you're going to continue to see this high failure rate given low barrier to entry and how hard it is to actually scale a business online. And I think the important takeaway too is even if you take out all of those, you know, two college kids running a t-shirt shop type of examples and small Shopify businesses, we're still seeing the national brands, the established brands, the direct to consumer brands that were successful online say, wait a minute, we're not that profitable online. We need bricks and mortar. And I can't think of really a single example of a very strong online only retailer that is not either already gone into bricks and mortar or in the process of trying to come up with the right prototype. Yeah. I, that says it all. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, this has been fun. Love going back through our 12 month predictions. Glad uh, we could update them and nice to see the stats come in. Can't wait to do it again. To everyone listening, we will likely do a 2023 predictions in the near term. So stay tuned for that. And we're so glad that you could join us today. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to see you. You too, Carly. Thank you. Thank you.